There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome to another uh, Business Elevation Show on the Voice America Network. And I'm incredibly excited today. I'm going to be uh, introducing you to uh, Mark Beaumont. We're going to be talking about creating leaps in performance and we're going to be talking about uh, to mark who's the uh, the round the world cycling world record holder amongst many other um sort of um, achievements and before we um meet mark though a big thank you to denise leon who uh, talked to me about her book uh, fusion last week uh, which was um absolutely fascinating so do do check that interview out um, around fusion and around um sort of marketing and practice and that sort of thing uh, with denise leon so let me introduce you to my guest today, Mark Beaumont. Now, have you ever wondered what goes on behind the scenes of major world record attempts and expeditions? Now, Mark Beaumont has led expeditions and TV documentaries now for over a decade. And he started um, first by cycling around the world and then the length of the Americas before heading into the oceans, into the Arctic and the Atlantic. He then went on and presented the Glasgow 2014 Commonwealth Games. Uh, and he got back on his bike and he um, went from uh, Cairo, Cairo to Cape Town. Uh, and then most recently, um, he decided to uh, cycle around the world in 80 days. Uh, it was something that had never been done before. And he set a record of incredibly 78 days, 14 hours and 40 minutes for over 18,000 miles. And he broke two official Guinness World Records. Um, which is just phenomenal, considering 40 days were taken off the previous record. Now, as Mark will um, explain um, later on, when I talk about Mark having achieved this, it was a whole team that achieved this. Uh, Mark was the the man on the bike. Um, There was a a team supporting him. So we're going to talk about that sort of behind-the-scenes aspect. He's published books on each of his cycling expeditions. And outside of sports and broadcasting, he's a business uh, ambassador. He's a speaker. He works with a number of charities and educational organisations. So let's have a chat about um, you know, about the enterprise that's uh, needed around uh, each venture, about um, the support team um, that is needed. And, you know, how what are the lessons that we learn about high performance from the, about from that? And let's also talk to Mark about his incredible lessons in leadership and teamwork, as well as dealing with exhaustion, stress and frustration of ultra-endurance. And having seen Mark speak, I think, only last week on his UK tour, uh, I can tell you you're in for some uh, really exciting and fascinating conversation about some of the things that Mark has uh, endured and some of the successes that he's had. So, Mark, a huge welcome uh, to the Business Elevation Show. Thank you. Thank you for such a a, a warm introduction. You're you're very welcome. And I really uh, did enjoy your talk last week. and, And it was a great opportunity to learn you know, more about you um, beyond, uh, beyond uh, you know, what I'd kind of read and the, the sort of conversation and, and the opportunity to meet you. And I think um, one of the things I was you know, fascinated about at the, the start of that, uh, that conversation and your speech was, you know, about your childhood in Scotland. And, uh, you know, just really interested to know how you were 
inspired to do what you do. I think you mentioned you didn't even have a television when you were growing up uh, in your household. So tell us a bit about your background in Scotland and what got you going really on your on your quests. Well, I mean, I, I did grow up in, I guess, a very interesting place, but at the time, it's all I knew. So like any childhood, I, I didn't question it. Um, I didn't go to school until I was 12, so I was homeschooled, um, you know, a choice by my parents, who were both farmers, so myself and my two sisters, one older, one younger. And um, in the early 80s, my parents were trying to make a go in organic farming, which in the UK, that certainly wasn't mainstream yet, and it... It, we were doing it on a scale which wasn't massively profitable. So it wasn't the world's best business, but as a place to grow up, it was it was incredible. You know, we had this freedom where every morning we went out and we had 60 goats to bring in and milk in the dairy. We had, you know, the horses to look after. We had, you know, eggs to collect from the hens. It was it was a, It was a wonderful education. We were just running the farm and then maybe spent an hour or two a day sitting around the kitchen table doing the subjects. Um, that's all. So by the time I went to high school at the age of 12, I guess it gave me a real sense of adventure outdoors because it was, you know, most of what I'd done for the first 12 years of my life. But, um, you know, I guess a real independence as well. You know, I was very happy with my own company. You know, my only friends really for the first 12 years of my life were my, <laughs> were my, were my, were my sisters. Yeah, yeah, and, and a few and some goats and, uh, <laughs> and cows and things like that. But it must have been. I mean, it's a beautiful part of Scotland because you were over near near Loch Tay, weren't you? Was that? Yeah. So, um, so if you're familiar with Scotland, um, it's about an hour and a half north of Edinburgh, uh, north of the capital. So you're just in the foothills of the Highlands, just that sort of divide, literally the the, the divide between the lowlands and the highlands, just when it starts to get heathery and beautiful and interesting and the lochs and the trees. So it was a beautiful place to grow up. And I remember reading in the local paper uh, about a guy who had cycled from the top of Scotland to the bottom of England, and I was 11 years old. And I had no idea what that entailed. And I also didn't know that thousands of people did it every year. It was just a new idea to me. And I, I went to the farm car. I got uh, got the map out and I, with a highlighter pen, found the roads. And I remember, distinctly remember, you know, at dinner time, going to mum and dad and saying, I want to do this. And um, having absolutely no idea what I was asking. And um, my dad, <laughs> my dad wasn't too keen. I mean, my dad, being a bit of a grumpy farmer, I think just told me for putting pen all over the map. But but my mum said, well, why, why don't you try something a bit smaller first? Because you've not really cycled off the farm before. And she had, a, she had a point. I mean, that was a thousand miles, that journey that I was proposing. So we, we, you know, I got a friend and we cycled across Scotland and that was at the age of 12. So what's this, oh. Tw uh, 23 years on? You could kind of look back over the last two decades and, um, you know, you could easily reverse engineer it and say, well, it's slightly inevitable. There's a real chronology between each project and expedition, both in terms of skill set and confidence and team and everything. But that would be a lie. That would be an absolute lie. You know, it's been a journey where I could only really ever see the next horizon. I only, you know, I only had, you know, I came off the back of each project and my entire career, amateur and then professional, has been, you know, these major projects. And I've only really had a clear idea of what comes next, uh, you know, after the back of, 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 of each, each event. So it's interesting to look back at this point uh, because there's a clear there's clear stepping stones, but um, at the time it was just enjoying what I was doing, building the skills, building the building the confidence, and then it just ended up going around the world a couple of times. <laughs> so, you, so you kind of had 
a calling in terms of each of these horizons and you would uh, you'd move towards them and then I guess something else came along and it, it sort of grew like that. Yeah, so for, for, for 10 years, um, from the age of 12 to 22, you know, I was very much, you know, I was, I, was, I was bright at school, I did well at school, I went to university and studied economics and politics. You know, I was giving lip service to the fact I was going to then become an accountant, work in finance and move to London and do what everyone else that was in my class was doing. So, you know, there was no idea at that point that I could make a career, well, like I have, build my own business, you know, work as an athlete, a broadcaster, you know, work with the businesses I've, I've had the opportunity to do. Um, I think mainly because there was no reference points around me for what that could be. Everyone I knew was employed in a, in a traditional sense of the word, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with that. But I didn't know anyone around me, you know, enterprise or you know, plowing your own furrow or, or building your own career wasn't something I had any experience of. No, nobody in my family or network did that. Um, you know, to be fair, I think most people thought I would just either take over the farm or work for a while in finance and then move back to the countryside. So graduating with a perfectly useful economics and politics degree and announcing to my friends, and family that you know what I'm going to cycle around the world well, it came as a bit of a shock <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know even at the time it was just an adventure to end all adventures um, I thought let's just get this out of my system and then um, you know whilst doing that and making my first uh, BBC documentary I suddenly realised the value of growing a brand growing a network uh, and, and and sharing these stories and, and the truth of the matter is yes I am known as an athlete but the, but the business and the, and the actual opportunities that comes you know therein come through building a brand and 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 very much come through creating value for people you work with and it's interesting over the decade that a number of people who have done very similar things to me have been disappointed that it's not given them a career not realizing that being the athlete or being the adventurer is not actually what builds the career you've got to be able to do that but then it's very much about the storytelling, you know, the engaging the audience, finding people who, who care about and buy into what you do. Uh, actually, having the core ability to do what you do is, is not enough. Mm. Very, very interesting. Indeed. Uh, I should say thank you to David Fox Pitt, who uh, also from Lock Tay, who was on the show recently and uh, is, a, is a friend and introduced us. Um, but uh, you know, David and also Neil Lawton, who's been on the show as well, you know, their good friend, you may well know him well too, Bear Grylls. He's managed to do that, hasn't he? He's created this this adventure and this brand and the scouting and uh, you know, it's become a you know a massive global name really. Yeah, absolutely, and um, it's great. I mean, I think anyone who 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 does this builds a brand around who they are and and what and what they do, and then finds good people to work with. I mean, that's the thing you've got to remember behind every name that you see in the public domain. You know, there's got to be quite a, quite a team, and most people like Bear, like myself, have built. A portfolio career you know you, we might be defined by one thing because that's what the media does to you i'm that guy that cycles around the world bears that guy that lives lives in the wilderness and does crazy things but you know ultimately the business behind the scenes which i purposefully keep you know quite quiet because i think most people in the public just want to see me almost as a guy who never got a job they, you know it's the pure escapism of it mm -hmm. it's sitting on your sofa going imagine cycling around the world imagine rowing an ocean imagine climbing a mountain you know it's that you know I live that escapism I've been to 130 countries in the last decade and, and I have the opportunity to take 
millions of people on these adventures with me. So it shouldn't look like a business. It shouldn't look like a job. And I do love what I do. I mean, don't get me wrong. You have to suffer. It's it's. There's a lot of type two fun, if you know what I mean by that. But but equally, um, you know, behind the scenes, what I'm equally passionate about is the fact that it gives me the freedom of time to build lots of different strands to what I do. And I build. I've built a team around me that can that can do that with me. I mean, I I wouldn't have the skill set or the capacity to take care of the different aspects of 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 what I now do. So, you know. I think the, the media very much simplifies what, uh, what, who people are. But the reality behind the scenes, if you're going to make a, a growth business out of, of, of something like adventure sports or, or expeditions and start to engage with corporates in an interesting way, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a scale and uh, a diversity that sort of belies that sort of that media profile. Uh, one of the things I find fascinating as well is a little bit like you know Andy Murray Andy Murray's his mum is still is very involved in the business I know you know your mum's very involved in in your business and uh, indeed it must have you know must create a you know a, a real your your experiences and what you've created and with your mum must create some wonderful stories for for the both of you um how does that how does that work and uh, uh, and you know how does um, having your mum in involved in your projects and how does having a family work with this very busy uh, lifestyle that you have? Well, I mean, uh, having, you know, my mum at the heart of the business obviously grew out of a day of the days when I was a teenage kid, you know, and she was very much supporting me as mum. And then as I transitioned into professional expeditions, um, she was obviously the first person I turned to to ask for support, you know, long before I was, you know, monetizing it or building a business out of it or involved other people. It was just me and her around the kitchen table with the maps planning these things. And, um, you know, to go from running the farm to, you know, running these major expeditions, broadcast projects, you know, last year was a very expensive project involving 40 people um, to try and get around the planet in 80 days. You know, and to have, you know, my mum at the heart of it is something I'm incredibly proud of. Being family, being family, you don't always sort of agree with each other all the time, but you get to have a level of conversation that it would be entirely impossible to with someone you've not you know, known your entire life. So I think that gives a real strength. And for me, when I'm so incredibly busy out there doing what I do, to have somebody at the heart of the business who I know is always going to have my best interests is wonderful. There was a point in my 20s where I was almost embarrassed. You know, I was thinking, oh, I've got, you know, mummy's working for me. That that looks a bit, that looks a bit uh, almost amateur. But but now I've grown up a bit. It's the thing I'm most proud of. Uh, you know, I think it's wonderful to have family at the heart of what I do. It is no, absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And it really keep that close bond between you and, and share in you know, this amazing life that you're you're leading and you know in inspiration that you're creating around the planet for people and to have your mum as part of that must just be just must, must be fantastic um so we've got um, about three minutes before we go to commercial break but uh, just just very quickly um just share a little bit of some of the adventures we'll talk about around the world in 80 days but you know just share one or two of the other little things that you've significant expeditions that you've done in the past that led you to it if we um, run over time we'll, we can continue after the break so the the, the rough chronology um after my graduation I, I pedaled around the planet the first time so remember that's an 18,000 mile race I couldn't believe at the time that the record stood at 276 days when I spotted that I thought why is that not being done properly I mean that that might sound unkind but you know I did think that was pretty slow 
I thought rather than just rather than just beating that by a margin, let's try and redefine that. So I I went around the world in 194 days. That led on to a nine month expedition to go from Alaska to Sierra del Fuego, trying to be the first person to climb the high peaks en route. So you've got Denali in the north and Aconcagua in the south. Um, to date, still my longest expedition. Um, after that, there was a, a number of years of ocean rowing. So took a rowing boat further north than anyone's ever gone before. And it was a real bittersweet. It was about capturing why you can and how you can now get 800 miles north of the Arctic Circle in a rowing boat, you know, something which shouldn't be possible. Um, and capturing that for a, for a documentary called, called Rowing the Arctic. Um, followed up by a, an expedition which, which nearly killed me, which is not something you can capture in 30 seconds. But I tried to break the mid-Atlantic rowing record and we nearly did it. 500 miles from the finish, going from Morocco to Barbados. We... Um, we capsized and and so nearly didn't come home. And to be honest, that was the big turning point, which you know made me reassess and uh, has led to me coming back to to, to pedaling around the world again. There's there's been other expeditions we can touch on, but that's that was certainly the first seven eight years and what brought me back to to riding the bike. That's an incredible chronology. Well, we're going to get to commercial break now, but and after the break, let's um, find out a bit more about um, around the world in eighty days, and then maybe we could uh, also start to talk about some of the, you know, some of the components uh, that that made up uh, this uh, incredible uh, achievement, and uh, you know, the teams and the people and the learnings and the discipline uh, that were required to achieve something of this magnitude. So we'll be back with you again in a couple of minutes. Do join us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, Chris Cooper here. I'm back again with Mark Beaumont. We're talking about um, creating leaps in, in performance. And uh, we're going to talk now in particular about the world cycling record and uh, what Mark achieved, which... You know, it sounds like when you're doing something like that, that, physical fitness is, you know, the key part of the equation. But I know with this, there's a huge amount of business skills that are needed to get a project like this off the ground uh, with, uh, as Mark mentioned earlier, 40 uh, members in the team. Uh, so, Mark, can you describe to us what Around the World in 80 Days entailed? Sure. I mean, the, the, the record I went for 
the first time around, so 2007, 2008, and then last year was exactly the same record. It's the fastest circumnavigation by bicycle. So you've got to go more than 18,000 miles, pass through two points on the opposite side of the world, which for me were Madrid and Wellington, and uh, always go in the same direction, start or finish in the same point. For me, that was Paris and France. And um, what's amazing in that decade is how the record has changed beyond recognition. You know, the first time I went was was alone, unsupported. You know, it was a proper wild man effort. You know, my, the main <laughs> challenge, apart from riding fast, was where's my next meal? Where am I going to sleep tonight? You know, ending ending up sleeping under roads in Iran or in mosques and un, around the Pakistan-Afghan border under armed guard. You know, it was a proper adventure. Whereas this time around was with a full support team. It was Tour de France style. I had two vehicles, two trucks, you know, and my job was just to ride the bike. But what belies that, you know, simple, you know, quote unquote, um, race is the two and a half years of planning that went into it. Now, when I, when I first committed to coming back to retake the circumnavigation world record the record stood at 123 days it was held by a, a new zealander an ex-olympian athlete an amazing amazing ride and um i looked at it you know with interest and with awe and sort of thought well how can i learn from that and i'm not trying to repeat history i'm not just trying to beat his record what what should be possible and we we did a huge amount of testing trying to figure out what is my personal best not is not not just trying to beat that record by a Margin, but what what leap in performance can we create by by really figuring out what is the blueprint? You know what I mean. People always talk to me about marginal gains, and I love talking about the margins. But the mistake most people make in in sport and in businesses, they go straight to the margins without ever talking in terms of the broad brushstrokes about you know what is success on your terms. I mean, by by taking you away from my race for a second there's three women this year all setting out for the female circumnavigation world record and they all came to me saying can you help with some of the margins you know the training the nutrition the bike choice the route choice all the detail and i said sure i'll help you with any of that detail but question number one what is your target and all three of them said well obviously it's the record you know we're going to break the record which on the female side is 144 days and my point is very clear if you all go out there and just try and repeat history a little bit better, you know, you can't all claim that prize. You know, two out of the three of you are going to fail. But all three of you are going to fail in real terms because you've never considered day one what you're capable of. And and that methodology and that that that's how I've thought about all my projects. You know, absolutely understanding the world you operate in, looking with respect to what people have done before and trying to learn for that, but then not making the classic mistake of basing your targets on what other people have done. And so the margins only come into effect in the planning once you've actually considered, you know, what should be possible. What is that personal best in in, in your own uh, terms? Which I realize that talking about this in abstract sounds like, you know, complete um, just marketing nonsense. You've got to you've got to nail it down to real life examples. Mm, it's quite and all, what I've done with all of my what I've done with all my projects over the years is 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 have a huge and really detailed process in place to figure out what is the plan. And then you know it's very simple. You never do better than what you set out to do. Mm. Yeah, because as you say, you took uh, forty days over forty days off that record, and uh, if that wasn't a, a marginal gain, was it on the record? That was a significant. Uh, resetting of what was possible yeah and it's interesting because we're sitting here nine months on and people talk about around the world in 80 days 
it's like it was the next big prize, like it was the inevitable next step for the for the around the world. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't at all. I mean, you look at the press last March, April, May, June, just before I set out. People thought we were crazy. There was an absolutely no pre- reference point for this. How do you break a world record by 39%? You know, you don't do that by going out there and saying we're going to break the record. And, and one of the interesting parts was, so that sense of inevitability, I think, only happens you know, in hindsight, what it feels like when you're driving a project like this to the start line is incredibly scary, especially when you're not, there's no, as I say, there's, there's nothing similar that's been done before. The, inter- the interesting part about the 80 days is, you know, with my PR hat on, I completely got the hook. You know, I, as soon as we got close in the planning stage, realizing, hey, it could just be possible to get close to 80 days. I've said, I put it back onto my researchers and my logistics managers, and I said, if it is in, if it is at all possible to cycle around the world in 80 days, that has to be our target. But it cannot be a pie-in-the-sky target. It has to be worked out. We have to know exactly how we do that. We broke the entire planet into four-hour blocks. Um, and uh, But then when I went out to build you know, media partners and sponsors and shareholders to this, what so many people said to me is, do you not think we're risking too much? Why don't you just go out there and say you're trying to break the record and then if you really can do this surprise everyone and make that the punchline hey i've made it around the world in 80 days huge earned media value but there was for me i couldn't do that because it's so tough it's 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 so detailed to be able to work that plan can you imagine me turning around to my team and saying do you know what guys we're we're trying to get around the world and break the record and if everything goes well we might go sub 80 you are never going to hit 80. It's never going to happen. I, I, with, within the language and the methodology of the team, that cannot be a reference point for success. So with due respect to what's gone before, I wasn't trying to break that record. I was trying to go sub 80. So that has to be your obsession. But then the other hugely important part is those sponsors saying, do you know what, we're worried because if you come home in 81 days, it looks like you failed. They were worried about you know, that reputation or that media. The world has moved on. You know, earned media value, return on investment happens through real-time, real-time storytelling. I knew the moment we went live with the dream to get around the world in 80 days, we'd create huge interest. We'd build a global audience around this. And from that moment until the finish, we built 200 days of storytelling, of earned media value. So by the time we got to the finishing line, whether we did that in 81 days or 80 days or 78 days, whatever, everyone would have incredible value for their support so thinking of it in these old-fashioned terms thinking it all you know it's all on the finishing line and the documentary and everything that comes afterwards completely misses the point for how how media is told and how an audience engages with with a narrative so those were the two points i had to have my team completely focused on what we were trying to do rather than just looking over our shoulder and looking at next best and secondly i understood the value around that media hook and i wanted to capitalize on that so you so you literally you burnt your bridges so <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean I, I mean absolutely you stake your reputation to the wall i mean you know if we'd failed we would have you know we that we were two and a half years building that project we called it around the world in 80 days from day one and that's what we had to do uh, which trust me when you're standing on the start line and you're so heavily involved in such an expensive project if I fail, everyone fails. So that accountability is very real. And looking back and talking about it like it's inevitable, I was speaking recently to the documentary maker, the editor, and he came on after the event. He was you know, taking 150 hours of footage and making it into a film. And he said one of 
the issues for television is you did exactly what you said you would do. It, it you know, for that it, it misses the cliffhangers, the excitement, the the unknown. I said, well, trust me, that's not how it felt. You know, to execute a plan this closely, to come home within hours of what you said you would, is not about athleticism. Yes, you need to be able to do that, but it's about working a plan. It's about reading off script. Yeah, I think having seen some of the the video footage from your your tour and you know footage like the you know like the camper van where a car had hit it and you know there's plenty of uh, excitement for that film and uh, suspense I think to be able to enjoy it even though you know the outcome ultimately. Um, yeah, that's it. Now I just um, I'm kind of intrigued. Took you two and a half years to get there. It must have almost felt like when you got started that you deserved a medal just to get uh, <laughs> on that starting line. But uh, you know, how did you you know you pulling together that team of forty, and how do you acquire the funds to be able to to do that and make it work and have the sharpest minds working on the plan? So I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, I get approached every single week, multiple times with amazing ideas for amazing projects. I know from experience, from painful experience, that most of them will not get to the start line. And I never, ever doubt people's ability to do what they are good at. You know, be it, you know, as an athlete, it could be, you know, row an ocean or go across a a pole or climb a mountain or cycle around the world. It's never about that core skill set. It's understanding what it takes to fund, to build the team to to share and to build the you know the 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 narrative the storytelling around it these are very difficult things and and that's when you face a huge amount of negativity a huge amount of you're crazy or it's not worth it or how are you going to justify it or and that's when you're you're working outside of your core skill set you're not just being the, being the athlete um, we had huge setbacks in the build up to this I had a three year plan year one I wanted to do a big ride which was to create the media profile and the credibility to build back to the world. So I smashed the Kairos Cape Town world record, length of Africa, 6,000 miles against the clock. We took that record from 59 days down to 41 days and 10 hours, which is a, which is a record that we still hold. And for me, that was a calling card. That was the credibility to build back to the world. We did that in 2015, 2016, build the team, starting with you know researchers, looking at every detail of topography, road conditions, wind direction, bureaucracy, anything that could make you go faster or slower around the world, and then thinking of the size of the team, the budget, and what it would take to actually get around the world as fast as possible. So none of this is trying to simply go faster than the last man. It's all about having a completely clean slate and saying what is optimal in every sense, what makes the bike go faster. And, you know, we realized it would be an expensive project. You know, in, in, in US terms, you're talking about the best part of a million dollars by the time you've, you know, cash and in-kind support. And you're building a bigger team than I've ever built in any other project. So, but what I, the most important element was, by the time you've built that plan, you know exactly, you know, I could split my team into three, into performance, logistics, and media, and try and recruit the right people. And then very much hand over the reins to them and make it very, very clear. It's your job to get me around the world. I cannot be the leader of this project on the start line. I can dream it up. I can drive this project to the start line, but it will fail if I'm the guy who's making the decisions on the road. So that accountability, that responsibility has to be handed over. And when you do that, you can't then keep taking the reins back because you undermine that 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 sort of line of responsibility you you set up and i think that in any organization that's the hardest thing to do you see that as the choke point in decision making and in real momentum in projects is building it recruiting the right team 
and then having the communications and trust in place so that you hand over the reins and say, right, I'm just going to do what I'm good at, and it's your job to absolutely drive this project. And you must have felt, I mean, I can't quite imagine what the pressure must be like. You put two and a half years of work. You've um, persuaded sponsors to invest money, um, and people are committing time to this project. And so you've got people who are you know, part, now you're on the road, people are strategically leading it. You've got people who are managing all of the kind of list logistics and the media and the performance. But there's you on the bike. And I guess if you don't feel very well, someone can't just take over, can they? So the you know, enormous amount of focus and uh, energy on you. How do, how do you manage that pressure? I think that is that's all about experience. It's the one part of leadership which can't be taught. That's not a classroom exercise. I mean, I'm sure anyone, whether they're a business leader or an athlete, will relate to the fact that your ability to do well and the, the finding points in any project is not down to your core ability, you know, in terms of your technical skill set and your education. It's your grit. It's your resolve. It's your ability to suffer. It's performing when the pressure is on. Now, the line that I absolutely live by and recruit by is creating value because of who you are, not just what you do. It's very easy to find people who are good at X, Y, or Z. You know, they could be a fantastic accountant or physiotherapist or, you know, mechanic or logistics manager. That's a core skill set which you learn through an education. But a lot of people define themselves their entire career by their education. I am a, you know, insert word. Leadership is about growing beyond that. It's about your ability to take decisions under pressure. It's how you think, communicate, and act when the heat is on. And that has to be learned. Those behaviors have to be tested. Those boundaries are, 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 are absolutely strained through the practice of doing what you do. And those, 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 I guess, what you would call softer skill sets is always what I look for. I used to recruit people just based on their technical skill set until I tried until I tried to row the Atlantic, and then I was in a situation capsizing 500 miles offshore, where people didn't cope, where people li- literally didn't get out of the life raft, where people couldn't have saved their own lives, and I realised very clearly the difference between having done all the courses, knowing what to do, having the ability, and actually the resolve and the accountability to realize that the buck stops with me. And for me, those behaviors come through being in pressurized situations. So that goes back to that that simple line I, I, I said a minute ago, being valued because of who you are, not just what you do. You know, I, I Laura, my performance manager, I, I recruited her and she was one of my absolute core members of my team because she was Laura, not because any other physio could have done what she did. You know, she had that, she, she was irreplaceable because of the skill set and the confidence and the decision-making she brought to the party, not just the fact she was good at her job. And that's what you have to have in high-performing teams. Uh, and it's, and it's a, it's a, it's a, I guess it's a blindingly obvious thing, but it's, it's something which is not talked about enough. Because so often when you recruit, when you ask the questions, you, know, you say to people, you know, tell me about a time you worked under pressure, or a, a day that went wrong and you, you proved, you know, and people will tell you amazing stories go back to that Atlantic capsize, all six of the guys in the life raft with me would tell you the most amazing stories and you'd recruit them off the back of it. That doesn't for a moment tell you what they were thinking, how they were communicating or what they did. All it means is they were there. That success by association is a really dangerous thing. And I'm now far more interested to know 
and really understand failure, understand how people cope under pressure. And I have, you know, whole processes in place to figure that out, see how people's behavior change are under pressure. That's far more important than the core skill set. Core skill sets can be learned. Behaviors have to be developed over a period of time. Yeah, that's a great um, point there to end on the uh, this uh, this segment. So we're going to have a two minute break, and we'll be back with you again very shortly. And we're going to find out, you know, more about um, sort of discipline after the break, and you know, and uh, you know, how how this team managed to uh, do things so effectively, uh, which um, has helped Mark to get there across uh, around the world in uh, such a short uh, period of time. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and welcome back. I'm with Mark Beaumont. We're talking about his incredible uh, journey around the world. So, so Mark, you, you started your journey in, um, in Paris, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, and uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, you know the journey itself. I, I would particularly, particularly the, the the thing that I came back from your talk really thinking about was the absolute discipline in terms of you know you starting at four a.m. each day, not four o two, and I just was very inspired by that about you know how you really stuck to your plan and uh, the way that uh, you know the team you know, all held each other to account to uh, be very precise with it, you know, um, for, I guess for marginal gains and that sort of thing. Do you want to just talk a bit about that and how that yeah, all so, worked? So the, base, the basic plan um, was when we got close to realizing get around the world in 80 days, we really started to focus on what is the optimal between ride time and sleep pattern. So if you're going for weeks and months, you know, how much recovery do you need without being a complete battle of attrition? So we worked out that I could do a four times four hour block a day, so 16 hours on the bike and then be sleeping for about five hours and then back on the bike and repeat. And that is what you have to do every single day for two and a half months. So the discipline would be to get out of bed at uh, out the the RV, out the camper van at half past three in the morning, 3.30, on the bike at four. So, So wake up at half three, on the bike at four, 
four times four hour sets and then get some recovery and repeat. The reality is there's only four things that you can affect. Ride time, sleep pattern, food and hydration. So for the same effort, for the same inputs, one day I would go 220 miles, say, and the next day I would go 260, 270. Because of things you don't affect. And what I found in sport and in business, people tend to change the plan fairly regularly based on outputs and they get confused as between what is an input and what is an output to the plan. So in businesses I've worked in, it's been about, you know, short-term profits or numbers or um, and, 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 in, and in expeditions, it's, it's often about distance, mileage, you know, progress. My mantra is always about understanding what part of the equation you affect. When you're trying to get around the planet in 80 days, it is so massive. It's so scary. If I even think of two or three days of that, you just don't get out of bed. But if I think about what I have to do the next four hours and those very simple inputs that I have, it's completely doable. There's nothing scary about that. So all I had to do was ride at an average of 15, 16 miles an hour, um, eat about 8,000, 8,500 calories a day, hydrate depending on temperature as best I could, and, um, and, and get the recovery and get the sleep in. We knew that was sustainable through all the testing. So you, you can you imagine start, starting on the start line in Paris? You, this is not a one-off effort. You have to average 240 miles a day every single day for the next two and a half months it is monumentally scary but then when you think okay all i need to do is hydrate well eat well ride well and recover well that's it the way the discipline came in is i reminded the team and it became a metaphor for all of our culture on the road that if if i wasted five minutes every time i was off the bike that would add well over a day to the world record. So getting on the bike at five past four in the morning was unacceptable, even if we had a tailwind and uh, you know we made up the miles because of the terrain, because we hadn't controlled what we could affect, because it just makes you feel like you're chasing time and miles all day long. Whereas getting on the bike at four o'clock, whether you had a tailwind, a headwind, whatever was happening, meant that you were doing what you could. And I'll tell you, some of the worst days with massive raging storms, getting out there, it was well below freezing, or days where I'd had a crash and I was in serious pain, knowing that there wasn't a conversation. I wasn't turning to the team and saying, hey guys, how hard are we going to try today? What's the plan? There was none of that. We had a script, we read it off script. It's about knowing on those toughest days that you're going to put the same effort in, you're not going to go as far, but those days count for double because it's that average, it's the long-term average that matters. You're, you're controlling the things you affect. And I realize that these things are talked about all the time in business, but you know that practice, actually understanding and defining the difference between the simple inputs and the scale of the outputs and not being freaked out by things you can't control, I think kept us sane on the road. I think it gave my team the clarity around, do you know what, we can do this if we focus on the simple elements we control. So it's almost, a, it's almost kind of a meditative approach in that, in, I guess, you know, calming yourself and centering yourself to do each yeah. four-minute block? Yeah. I mean, on the start line in Paris, if you start to think about cycling around the world at the pace of 240 miles a day, oh, my, I mean, I, yeah, it's I can't think of anything scarier. Whereas I can tell you, I was completely calm in that moment because all I was thinking about was getting on the bike and getting through the first four hours. You know, I'd sort of distracted myself by this from the scale of it with the 
with the reassurance that I was no longer in charge. I'd, I'd handed over the responsibility to my team. I wasn't trying to think about all the other stuff that was important, but wasn't ultimately about making the bike go faster, like media. And, um, you know, I had one simple job. And I could, I could, I could understand the next horizon, and that was all that mattered. There's times in a project to focus on strategy on the macro, and there's times in a project to be at the coalface and and thinking of the micro. And I think, well, so with so often the teams I've worked with, you get those things confused, and also you get a leader completely understanding what you're trying to do, and then the individuals not fully buying into that. So for 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 me, the risk at the start line is setting the agenda, getting a team to buy into the ambition, but most importantly, understanding their piece of the puzzle. I think it's entirely unrealistic for everyone to get it in the same sense you do. You know, I can, based on my life experience, plan a project like this. But when I recruit, you know, all those different people doing different jobs, they've not lived in my shoes. They've got amazing skill sets that I don't have, but they're buying into my belief, my ambition. And it happened. You know, I was riding out the Gobi Desert from Mongolia into China. One of my mechanics turned to me and said, you know, with real glee across his face, he said, Mark, you're going to do this. And we're nearly a month in. I said, Alex, of, of course we're going to do this. You know, <laughs> of course we're going to do it. And he said, no, I wanted it to work. I, I, you know, I desperately wanted to be a part of it. And I, I loved your ambition, but I just, you know, I, I just didn't understand how it was all going to come together. And he was seeing it from his life experience. And I think that's the best you can hope in leadership. Build a plan, get a team to buy into the plan. And at some point along the journey, the penny will drop. That belief will become clear. And actually giving your team significant rungs in the ladder, points along the journey where they can look at each other and with, you know, thank them and say, this is working. So we cracked the one-month record soon after touching down in Australia. So the most miles ever cycled in a month, 7,000-odd miles. And um, it wasn't a big deal for me because I knew we would do that if we were on course for the world. But I could see the lift, the morale, the confidence it gave my team because after a month of suffering and sleep deprivation, it was that first tangible rung on the ladder when they, you know, I could say, thanks, guys, we're doing this. Keep doing what you're doing. Believe in the plan. You know, focus on the next horizon and we can absolutely do this. And it gave them a huge lift. And that... That um, that psychology, that confidence is 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 as important as a technical ability. It, it really is because it belies communication. It belies everyone's actions. It's 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 absolutely core. Fantastic. I loved uh, one of the statistics I, I found amazing was when you touched down in Australia and you were on your bike from touchdown thirty six minutes later. That really stuck with me. I mean, that um, <laughs> must have taken some doing. Yeah, and, and 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 you know, I'm not I'm not coordinating that. That's trusting the team. But that's my advance party landed in Australia a week before, practiced every single part of that transition. So when I met on the plane in my kit and trotted through missing all the cues on the bike and off. So by the time our all our kit and the rest of the crew come through customs, you know, I'm twenty, thirty miles down the road. That's the margins you're dealing with. But there's no point in playing with those margins if you've not, as say day one figured out what success on your terms looks like and um it's interesting because you know you you will also remember when i was talking some of those really awful videos where you know at half past three in the morning i'm broken you know i'm absolutely broken i've had four five hours sleep I'm, i'm in a terrible state and if you were having conversations with your teams at those points in time 
you you lack the imagination and i don't i don't think anyone is psychologically strong enough to be their best in those moments the, the you know the big thinking the imagination the ambition has to have happened at another point in time so any decision making has been taken off the table in those moments in time it's just about process application doing what you know you can do um I think where people often get it wrong in performance is is trying to continue to 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 analyze and set new targets and move the goalposts. Uh, I, I'm a, I'm a bit more boring than that. You know, how, for how, me, it's about build the plan, build the plan, work the plan. And how how do you stick to that when you you so you had days when you was in complete agony on that bike, and the last thing you probably wanted to do was to cycle another four hour segment when you you're injured or you know, you've not had a break, you're not having days off apart from being this is you're on an airplane for a few hours you know how do you deal in those moments and, and keep going yeah i mean there's, there's a lot of that i mean on day nine i crashed really hard east of moscow and i fractured my elbow i got a fracture through my radio head and i had quite a number of wobbly teeth and i broke one tooth and two um so that's incredibly painful when you're in the time trial position on the bike with a crack through your elbow and <laughs> broken teeth oh. and i had two months to ride with you know quite a lot of um pain management but you know, that day I still rode 210 miles because the plan that we had was never about, you know, doing less when the going is tough, trying to do more when the sun shines. It was about staying safe, most of all. Safety comes absolutely at the top of the pile. But then just not getting clever, not not trying to be imaginative or to, 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 to change, you know, just do the time on the bike. And... There's no simpler or more honest way of reflecting what we did. I don't think it's I don't think it's heroic or marvelous. It's just we took that decision off the table long before we started. I will be on the bike for 16 hours a day. I will go whatever distance that takes me, and the long-term average will take care of itself. Plain and simple. So any of those self-pitying moments where you feel broken and you just don't want to ride, well, you know, tough cookies. You're doing it. And whilst the crashes and the the incidents are pretty awful to deal with. I think we've got a pretty good inbuilt fight or flight mechanism. I think we've we've all got the ability to cope well when the chips are down if it really threatens our project or existence. I think what's actually harder to call out to deal with is the sheer attrition, just being worn down, battered by the process. And you know, when I was two months in and coming across the US and towards the East Coast there, you know, I was in the darkest place I've ever been as an endurance athlete, and that's saying something. And um, keeping doing what I was doing, days where there was no excitement, it was just about keeping the process going, keeping it consistent. There's nothing exciting to say in that. There's no endorphins. There's no, it's just, it's just painful. But because you've taken the imagination and the, you know, the choice off the table, um, you, you just complete the process. Mm-hmm. And, and if I, and I say, for, for me, I look back and I see every conversation, every purpose from my team is about ma- making my bike go faster. So if I have moments where I start to feel sorry for myself, you know, think of what these guys and girls are putting themselves through for, for ultimately our success and my, my glory. So it's a wonderful sense of camaraderie. It's a wonderful sense of purpose. But, you know, it would be a lie to say through 1,200 hours of racing, you don't go through some incredible highs and lows of emotion. And it must be, I've only got about a minute now, so I'm going to have to end, but it must have been, you know, I'd love to ask you more about the, you know, eating. I don't know how you eat eight and a half thousand calories when you're doing that as well. <laughs> food down yourself, um, you know, managing your stomach, 
must be incredible. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's where the amazing team come in. I mean, there's a whole skill set that I've got no idea about. And the reaction over the last eight, nine, eight, nine months since I've stepped out of that bubble has been amazing. You know, the 80 days has really captured the imagination. And it just begs the question, you know, if that's possible, where will we go next? Absolutely. And, uh, I'm, you know, there's what's 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 next for you now? There's um, there's, there's a book coming out shortly. There's going to be a film on this. Um, you know, what's uh, very, very briefly, what's next for you? Um, what should we look out for? And do you have a final message you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, so I've just finished the book, which will be out uh, July 26th, uh, the um, around the world in 80 days. And uh, the documentary will be out in a, in a similar time. I'm loving riding my bike still, but my main focus, to be honest, is with a really interesting portfolio of businesses. You know, I take the same mindset, the same process, you know, about building momentum and growth and, and getting people to be really focused on what what they're capable of uh, into into a range of very different businesses. So there's a whole other side to what I do, which I love doing. So I'll get out there on my bike and uh, be pushing these records. Do follow on social media. And then behind the scenes, I'm going to be working with some really interesting businesses. Fantastic. Mark, it's an absolute pleasure talking to you. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Just so you know, inspiring and thought-provoking. And, uh, I, and I've certainly taken a lot from this and uh, wondering what could I achieve in 80 days with the with the focus. And I'm sure if other people took that mentality too, it'd be amazing what you could achieve like Mark. So you can buy The Man Who Cycled the World, Africa Solo, and Mark's latest book, Around the World in 80 Days, which uh, will be available um, on the 26th of July, 2018 from Good Booksellers. For more information on Mark, to see how you can work with him, to book him as a speaker, go to Mark Beaumont online. Dot com. So uh, again, thank you very much, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. And if you've got any questions, comments, thoughts, um, please uh, feel free to drop an email to Chris at Chris, uh, Chris at ChrisCooper.co.uk. Um, always love to hear from you. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more, achieve more.